0: Hello and welcome to Shades and Layers. I'm your host Kudwanas Kwasana Ritchie. I hope your new year is off to a good start. And at this time of year, of course, we are all looking at our bank balances and having some moments of regret after all the questionable decisions we made about our purchases over the holiday season. And so we are talking about money today with my guest, Vangila Makwakwa. She is the founder and wealth coach at Wealthy Money and co-founder of Property Magician Stockfell. Before we get into it, let me be clear that this is not a financial advice episode and it's not a counseling session, but simply the story of one nomadic entrepreneur who is dedicated to helping people heal their ancestral money trauma so that they can thrive, fall in love with their bank balances, and double their income. Wangele Makwakwa graduated with a finance degree from UCT in South Africa and an MBA from the Simmons School of Management in the USA. And even after all this finance education, she still found that she was having financial troubles. And it made no difference that she had increased her earning power after her education. It took a shift in mindset and a whole healing journey to change her financial behavioral patterns become debt-free, and create a thriving work-from-anywhere business. Today, she tells us about this journey, the body of work she's built through helping clients over the past decade or so, and where she finds herself today. We also speak about connecting the dots between manifestation, hard work, privilege, poverty, and systemic barriers to building wealth. As always, the wisdom and takeaways are revealed through the story. And so, without further ado, here's my guest, Bangila Makwakwa. Would you please describe your work, what you do in general, and also the deeper meaning you attach to these activities?
1: Mm, so, I help mainly women of color heal ancestral money trauma so they can fall in love with their, in, uh, fall in love with their bank accounts double their income, and live their best lives. And I don't know, the deeper meaning that I attach to this is really, for me, I feel like my work isn't just about money because I work on trauma. It's really about helping people find themselves and break free from like centuries or ancestral habit patterns so that they can really become more of themselves in this world a client of mine said that actually what I do is I help people become more of themselves and I kind of like that
0: Mm. how would you describe ancestral money trauma how what does that look like
1: So ancestral money trauma is the kind of stuff. So trauma isn't the big things that happen in our lives, not just the big things. If someone says to you, I lost my job, you're like, oh, my gosh, that is so traumatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big thing. Or, oh, my gosh, we used to go to bed hungry. Mm -hmm. Big trauma. Or... Another one, like um my business, um I had a business failure. We attached that with trauma. So those are the big and obvious traumas. Mm-hmm. but trauma it can also be the small things. it is trauma is simply an event that happens too fast for us to process or is too overwhelming for the nervous system to process or for us to integrate, mm-hmm. right? So it can be small things. It can be something as small as I lifted my hand in class and then got the wrong answer and everyone laughed at me. And then suddenly, I don't know why for the rest of my life, I am scared to blit out the wrong answer, get something wrong. And for most people, that could be like, oh, that's not such a big thing. But for a 10-year-old to experience that and that laughter, that humiliation, maybe it's the first time they've experienced it, they start to feel deeply, deeply traumatized and it starts to shape their personalities. So these are events that we couldn't process because they happened too quickly and we just didn't have the space to process them or they were just overwhelming and too big for us to process. And mm. so – They've started to shape our behavior, the way we move through the world and the way that we move through the world and those behavioral patterns start to shape how we show up in the world and more importantly, how we show up in our careers, in our businesses, when it comes to saving money, spending money, using money, making money. And then we then go on to have children and because you are a human and you're Mm. showing up in one way those behaviors start to impact the way that you also then teach your children about money, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you you learn. So let's go back to that small example of being in the classroom at the age of 10, lifting your hand and then people laughing at you because you've got the answer wrong. So now you suddenly have this belief that you have to have things right? Right or mm-hmm, else people will mm-hmm. laugh at you and you will be the laughing stock, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have things right, so suddenly you start to, um, as an adult, you grow up in this adult that's like, I have to have things just right. Mm-hmm. People will laugh at me if I don't do things correctly or if I don't yeah. have things right, and so you then start to pass that on to your children, right? Mm-hmm, your children, mm-hmm. you start telling your children. You can't do things wrong. You don't want people to talk about you. What will people say? People will laugh at you. Your children now start getting that, that, you know what? If I'm not perfect, people will laugh at me. And then you've got generations of people, and then their children go, and then your children go teach their children as well. Things have to be just right. You have to look just right. You don't want people laughing at you. And then you've got this whole generation of people, like you've got generations within the family of people going like but. Why am I so scared of people laughing at me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and they don't even understand it. And they're wondering, but why don't we go outside and try new things? Why is it so hard for us to innovate, to go share our creative ideas, to sell things, to try new things? Why are we following exactly what we've been taught? And no matter what they do, they can't seem to break out of that. You don't know where it started, but maybe this is like five generations later. Everyone has just had this fear of being laughed at and not doing things perfectly. And it's kept them back from investing, from trying out entrepreneurial ideas, all those types of things. Mm. Not a big thing, but it has had such ripple effects and it has started to impact um generational finances for mm-hmm. lo- for a very, very long time. And I share this because actually one of my biggest fears for the longest while in my life was being a laughing stock and being laughed at. And believe it or not, like my cousins had this fear, my mother had this fear. So many people in my family had this fear. It sounds like such a stupid fear if you think about it, but like You don't, and they would use the exact words of "I don't want you don't want to be a laughing stock. You're going to be turned into a laughing stock." It's so real, and yet it, and it's so so real, right? Mm. And I was always like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be a laughing stock. I'm going to be a laughing stock." On the surface, and then one day when I started my body of work, I was like, "That's one of the first fears I tackled." I was like, "But I've never really." there's nothing in this lifetime where I've been like, you know, I've been bullied, but not, and I've been uh, really shamed, but never turned into this laughing joke or Mm -hmm, laughing mm stock, you know, like there's been levels of bullying that have been like, oh, this is so shameful and all this, but not like that. So where does this come from? And then I started tracing it and I was, and I'd use that exact language on myself. And I realized that, wait, I had cousins that thought this way. My mother says this. Oh my gosh, this is not just, this is not mine. This is something that like was indoctrinated into the family for generations. <laughs> like, sure. why are we still carrying it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but you know how this is something that uh, you started processing yourself. But you know how did you get this to become the core of what you do as a business?
1: Ah, oh, so for me, because I when I I started um, my I guess my career, my journey by studying uh, finance, business Mm -hmm. science finance at the Mm -hmm. University of Cape Town here in South Africa. And then I graduated and something crazy happened. I'd studied finance because I didn't want to repeat the patterns of money in my family Mm because I had seen everyone be nurses, doctors, pharmacists, lawyers engineers do all those have like all those fields right i mm-hmm. was very lucky on both sides of my family to come where my mom and my dad and their siblings had these incredible um degrees mm-hmm. so i was like oh okay so the answer is an education i that that's the conclusion i drew from a young age cuz i'm like all these people all these are educated very well people educated. <laughs> so the answer Is an education, right? Because I'm seeing it in real life. (laughs) The answer must be that they didn't study finance with their education. So I'm gonna study finance. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, I graduate from UCT. And I'm just like, what is this? I end up being worse with money than anyone else in my family ever was but I've got like all this education I'm like okay this is crazy So then I go traveling because I'm thinking if I earn pounds and dollars, this is going to be a big shift in my (laughs) life, right? Because I'm earning like South African rands. If I come back home, I'll be moneyed. As I travel, I'm just spending my money like it's going out of fashion. Like the more money I'm making, the more (laughs) dollars and the more pounds, the more I'm spending it. And honestly, I didn't understand it. I literally thought I was was bewitched. I Mm -hmm, swear to God. Because it did not make sense. Why am I making more, earning more in other currencies, and yet I'm spending it so fast? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I decided the answer to that lay within an MBA. So I moved to Boston, Massachusetts, did my MBA. As soon as I graduated with my MBA, I started having panic attacks with money. Every time I handled money, talked about money, saw money, anything would just lead to a panic attack. I mean, it was insane. And I always say to people, until you start having panic attacks with money, you don't realize how often you interact with money in your life. Mm-hmm. Because, like, everything leads to just, like, this weird uh, this weird um, behavior with money. Like, you're just having this weird reaction. Mm-hmm. And there was so much shame around that. So I always tell the story about how, for me, when I knew that I needed to go beyond just the academics of money was when one day I went to a Bank of America ATM and I was just going to withdraw money. Just the thought of withdrawing money and getting to the ATM, I ended up in Haymarket and just like sitting on the side of the uh like on the sidewalk and just having a full on panic attack just at the mere thought of going to withdraw money I thought to myself this can't be my life I just the time I had it I hadn't even turned 28 yet and I was like what is this like I'm not even 30 yet like this cannot wow. be my life and obviously wow. nobody knew this was happening Family, friends, siblings, no one. It was my greatest shame because I thought, how shameful. Like you've gone, you've you've done all the studying around finance, gotten an MBA, traveled the world, and you're having panic attacks about money. Everyone else around you. It's just normal. You know, they're working with money, they're dealing with money. I truly believed I was the I was the only person that had financial problems. So the shame escalated because nobody around me was talking about their financial issues. So I then decided, oh okay, and nobody does, right? So you literally think you are the only one. Mm-hmm. And I just graduated from this MBA program, and everyone was talking about getting these really fancy jobs. And, like people just seemed like they were they had it together, you know people this was the first time I'd ever heard of sign on bonuses in the u s People were telling me about <laughs> yeah. sign on bonuses of like twenty thousand tenth- like fifty thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars. I was like, "What is going on? Why is nothing happening in my world and people were doing other things, making an income. I couldn't even think that far because I'm too busy having a panic attack when I have to buy milk for like three dollars. Oh so like that amount of money is like causing such havoc for me. Nobody spoke about it. So then I decided, okay. In my little corner of the world, it would take me another year or two to get here, but I knew something was wrong. So from that day on, I really started struggling with depression and it was all linked to my finances. And then there were days when I couldn't get out of bed and just things were getting going from bad to worse. So then I started just doing a whole, I went on this whole journey where I was like, okay, Scrap everything that you've ever learned about money from school. Because I was like, okay, maybe the problem is because you've learned all this practical stuff and academic stuff. And it's so high level. It's like, literally, you're trying to get to a particular level, but you're still struggling with $3.00. But you've done an MBA where they're teaching you how to handle a million-dollar business. Billions. So scrap all that, right? <laughs> so it's like, forget all that. Let's come back to basics. And so I started reading behavioral finance thesis. I went on meditation retreats, started yoga. All I knew was that something was happening to me on a physical level and then I mean on an emotional level and it was causing the physiological response of panic attacks. So at the time I didn't know anything about trauma. I didn't know anything about ancestral trauma, none of that. I was just like, let's start from the beginning. It's like there's an emotional reaction that's happening and it's anxiety and then it's causing this panic attack, which is a physiological response. So my very first thing was to literally do study for hours as to how emotions and the body interact, like just to try and understand what is happening when I'm having an emotional response and why is my body responding like that. And then I started going into, and then that's when I started learning a little bit about trauma and then the real breakthrough came when a friend of mine said do you believe that all this is yours what if this is ancestral you come from a family of sangomas so you may want to look into that that cracked open everything because i'd grown up seeing um sangoma rituals which are shaman rituals, shamanic rituals for people that are not uh, that are not that don't know what a sangoma is Mm -hmm. And so and like Mm -hmm. I'd grown up hearing about like the ancestors and healing ancestors and all that. So I literally was just like, okay, like let's just assume everything I'm feeling is not my own. What the what the heck does that mean? And so that then just opened up this whole new thing for me where I started literally researching ancestral emotions, ancestral trauma. Trauma would come later. And then from there, I started really, really going deeper. And I thought, well, maybe if I can, because I've seen how things are done at home and I've also got gifts. What if I start talking to my ancestors and start trying to understand what is going on here? And that's how this work came to be. And I started using some people as guinea pigs. I literally would ask people, can I coach you for free? Let's see how this works. Like I have a very particular way of working. If people just even mentioned, because at the time, a lot of people in my world weren't talking about money, right? But if people even mentioned a hint that they were struggling to save or do something, I'd say, can I test something on you? And I develop all these exercises. And as people's lives started to shift, they started to tell more and more people about me. And then the work started to spread. So this is how I started to do the work.
0: (laughs) Okay. But, you know, as you see it, um, what is the connection between uh, spirituality and money? And just to expand on that also, what role does mindset play in all this constellation? You know, where do you see the connections here?
1: Oh, my gosh, I love this question, actually. I love all your (laughs) (laughs) questions. So Okay, so mindset does play a particular role. So I'm going to come back to, on my research, the things that I learned is that there's a connection between the mind, like, our thoughts, our emotions, and then our behavioral patterns. And of course, the physiological response. So, if I think a particular thought, I'm going to feel a particular way emotionally, which is then going to, uh, and I may not even feel it emotionally. I may just feel it also on a physical level. Mm-hmm. So, either way, emotionally and physically, there's a reaction that happens. And as soon as I feel that way, I will start to behave in a particular way with money. So for example, let's say I get money and then um, as I'm making money, and this is what would happen with me. So for example, I would make money and then I would instantly have memories because like just by touching money, it would trigger certain memories from... Um, either a past life or this particular lifetime. And I would, for me in particular, I'd remember my teen years and remember how my uncle would behave with money. But I wouldn't just be remembering how my uncle would behave with money. My nervous system would remember how how I would co-regulate to my uncle's nervous system and how he would be feeling around money on a nervous system level, which was often anxious. And so how he would deal with that anxiety whenever he would have money was to get rid of money, which was to spend money as fast as possible. So obviously (laughs) when I got money, my nervous system would remember those memories, right? And I would then be triggered and the anxiety would be triggered. My body would be triggered. So the thoughts would be the memories. And then I would behave in the same way because I'd only seen one way to keep myself safe with money because that's the pattern that I had observed that kept my uncle Okay, and brought him back to baseline when he felt anxious with money, he would spend it because money didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that is an example of the link between mindset and money. Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of spirituality and money, money is also very much an energy. So, a huge body of my work that I started from the very beginning, that I started peop- uh, teaching people about, was this concept of the spirit of money, which is that there's an energy that we have around money. And it's not just an energy, but it's also that they are ancestral archetypes that we attach to money. And since we're talking about ancestral stuff, I guess we're, we're starting to go into the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. that most families have an energetic archetype that they've attached to money, right? Mm-hmm. So for some families, it could be the thing that you fear most. So if Money feels unsafe, then we will attach an archetype that we deeply dislike or that we associate with lack of safety to money. And we may not even be aware of it. And that archetype, then every time we handle money, it's not just the thoughts that are triggered. It's that like we associate money with that archetype and then we want to get rid of money or we want to hold on to money.
0: Mm, right,
1: mm. so there's a lot of that, but also on a very spiritual level is that like our energy right, so either we are going to feel energetically closed off when it comes to money or we're going to feel energetically open, so if we are so this comes back to this concept of um frequency with money, right, so it's like if we are feeling attuned to money or to particular jobs that um, have to do with money, then we are more likely to attract using working with the law of attraction, which is, I also want to say this, I want to have an addendum to this because most people, when they talk about money, only talk about the law of attraction, but the law of attraction is one of many universal laws and all the universal laws have an impact on our relationship with money. So yes, you work on your law of attraction, but maybe you haven't worked on the law of karma and you haven't worked on the law of universal oneness and all and the law of duality and all those things are well the law of polarity as it's known. So all these things start to impact our financial behavior, all the various laws. But let's talk about the law of attraction that everyone likes to talk about, which is that <laughs> if I am—I mean, that's the most it popular is, it's law. It is the most and,
0: popular one. There are books written about it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm yeah. always like, but hey, there's a whole bunch of other universal laws at play here. So you may have mastered one law, but what about all the other laws? Um, you know. So if we're looking at that in terms of spirituality, then. We can also look at how when we're working with our energy and we start to elevate our energy, there are times when we can attract certain things, right? Or what I like to say is it's not even about attracting certain things, it's about elevating our receiving set point. So it's not that, oh my gosh, I've just elevated and suddenly I've Increased my frequency so I get the BMW. No. I always say to people, it's a bit more than that. It's that As I am doing the inner work and as I am shifting on an energetic level, I am becoming the person that is now open to receiving the BMW, right? Which means that a part of me is no longer blocking and creating stories about deserving and worthiness in order to drive a BMW, It just becomes a BMW and I just see it as such and I just become the person that can have that, right? Mm. So I start to increase my receiving set point. So a lot of these things are more about, I think, very practical. It's not so woo-woo. It's just I start to change the way that I see myself as a person, Mm -hmm. right? On a very energetic level. And I start to do away with these concepts of worthiness and deservingness. And it just becomes me and a person, a person that just says, I want this. And I have no stories about wanting that. And because I have no stories about wanting that, taking action to get the thing that I want becomes less of an obstacle, Right. Right. And then it's called and then most people say, oh, it's a quantum leap. No, it just means that I shortened the time to get there because I just stopped creating obstacles in believing all the things about myself or believing uh, what uh, who I need to be to have that thing or what that thing means in me having it, you know? Yeah. So that's one law. And then there's also just the law of karma. Sometimes you just do good in past lives and in this life and you're just rewarded. That's just a very simple karmic law. Mm.
0: This is Shazen Layers, and my guest today is nomadic entrepreneur and wealth coach Vangila Makwakwa. By now, there are probably a million alarm bells ringing in your head. And one of them is saying, surely karma is not the only factor at play here. And how can it be that only 1% of humanity, mostly in certain parts of the world, are the only ones who are abundantly rewarded, financially that is, for their good deeds in their past or present lives? So this warrants a deeper discussion. And that is what we get into next on Shades and Layers. I mean, all of this is very complex, you know, because... Then you start asking questions around, okay, financial literacy, uh, there's hard work, and then there's the issue of poverty and systemic barriers. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can say all the mantras that you want, but it's not yes. necessarily going to give you the financial mm-hmm. Amen. Whatever things that, that you want. So, I mean we can go on and on about this but one last thing about that actually (laughs) like you know what's um why is financial literacy hard work and you know all the other adjacent activities not a solution to poverty
1: i always say to people if if hard work is what led to financial rewards, then Black women in the African continent on the African continent would be the wealthiest people in the world. Amen. I mean, I grew up in a family watching my grandmothers wake up at four a.m. and work super hard. You know, mm. so and also I want to say this that um, a lot of the things that we're talking about. So it doesn't mean just because you practice all these practices, you will have the breakthrough because we also live in this world that we live in and we need to take into account systemic oppression, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So yes, you can do all the things you can elevate, you change your receiving set point, all of those things. But up to a certain point, you're still dealing with systemic oppression. You're still dealing with systems that are, in, are completely unfair, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that we need to take into account. Like someone once said, is it law? I was reading on social media, is it really that you've increased your frequency and your vibration, or is it just privilege? You know, yeah, so there's also some yep. of those things that I play that we need to be aware of. So, in that case, we need to be aware of our own of the systems of oppression that we work under and how do they keep us oppressed. And what does that mean for, say, most black women? in the world? How do you maneuver that? Part of why I do the work that I do is to talk about that and to talk about the importance of also starting, finding ways that we can use that paycheck to elevate ourselves, to be our own bosses, to own our own things. How do we use collective wealth? How do we use the things of our ancestors, like Stockfields, if you're South African, mm-hmm. which yeah. is um, collective like so. investing yeah. funds, right? So it's like, how do you use all that to then create generational wealth? Because some of the ways that the systems are set up, especially in the West, work for the West, but they do not work for us at all times. So it's about looking at ancient wisdom and how our ancestors navigated impossible systems for most of us to be here. What do we take from that? And what do we take from what we now know to merge that? to build a better life for ourselves? And what does it look like to create equitable um, financial systems? So this is stuff that I really, really talk about. This is also why I started the uh, Property Magician Stockfile together with my business partner, Dr. Miranda Mulatto, where where we realized that there's a lot of things that like, because the system is the way it is, a lot of people are not going to get access to funding, no matter how like, how positive thinking you are, right? But mm-hmm. what we do have is, is the old ways in which our people built wealth. And how do we then model those for this modern world? Mm-hmm. And how do we do that in a way that works for us? Because you're never going to change a system that wasn't built for you. This is something that we really, really need to have a conversation about. And I think, so here's where I think the work on trauma around money becomes really important. Mm. Because a huge part of trauma is also that you can't, and I've spoken a lot about this, which is we cannot talk about trauma without talking about systemic oppression. Mm. You cannot talk, especially when it comes to financial trauma, when a lot of financial trauma is the result Mm. of systemic oppression. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we can't talk about moving forward without looking at how the system was also created to keep our minds thinking in a particular way. Because a huge part of what trauma does and what systemic oppression does is that it basically blinds us to ourselves and our own wisdom. Mm -hmm. So that right now, almost everything that we have learned about money and building wealth is coming from a Western viewpoint and from a Western standpoint. So what if there are ways that, We can build wealth. If we start to heal ourselves, right, we start to integrate the trauma, we can start to find ancestral wisdom and use some of that ancestral wisdom to help us build wealth right now. And that's the thing. If you can clear away that trauma, clear away the shame of what you've been taught about your people, about yourself, about who you need to be in this world to be successful, then it becomes easier to go back and learn about that and use it now. And maybe even use it not just for yourself, but for the collective in general.
0: So getting into the nitty gritty of your business. (laughs) um, (laughs) So who are your clients? Who comes to you for help? And, you know, where are they based seeing as you are a (laughs) globetrotter?
1: You know, like a lot of my clients are actually women of color. And I really mean that in that, like, I work with black and brown women from Asia from the UK, from the US, from mm-hmm. <laughs> from the African continent, from South America, you know, from all the, from various walks of life. Um, mm-hmm. I've also found though, like I do have white women that also come to me and I do have men that come to me. Mm-hmm. So it just so happens that it's, Mainly, I would say women of color, so I would say it's seventy five percent women of color from different parts of the globe, mm. really from different parts of the globe mm-hmm. and then um and then the other twenty percent twenty five percent is men and uh white oh white people Mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm. because I do have white men as clients I just remembered (laughs) yeah so (laughs) I guess people are drawn to this I always say that truth has a vibration you Mm -hmm. know it's that like people do the meditations do the ancestral meditations they do some of the courses and then um they just feel it in their spirit. you know that this is This sounds like truth. And Mm -hmm. when they do the work and they see the shifts, they go, wow, okay, I've done the other stuff, but a shift hasn't been happening. And obviously because my work is on ancestral trauma, there's no way that I can do this work without touching on the collective and -hmm. without touching Mm -hmm. on who you are as an individual within the family unit, which I think a lot of money work looks at you as the individual. How can you make as much money as possible as the individual? And I feel like what people are attracted to more than anything is that, yes, you get to do that, but then it's who are you within your family unit, within your community, within your ancestral lineage? You know, how is that impacting you? How does your success impact your community, your mm-hmm. friendships, yes, yes. how do you navigate that? How does that impact your relationship with your siblings and your parents? How do you navigate that? Which I think I definitely feel like it's such an important body of work when it comes to money. And that, that's the stuff that tripped me up, you know? And I think for a lot of people, we're honest, that's the stuff that trips a lot of us up. Like mm-hmm. if it was only just about us in this world, I'm sure most of us would be like, no problem. I'm going to make all the money in the world. Mm. But once Mm. if making money means that it's going to impact your marriage, it's going to impact your friendship, your family dynamics all that then that stuff is what trips us up and I'm not a big and my work is definitely not about you cut off your family you cut out people if people are not on board with you you let them go I'm like are you gonna cut (laughs) out the whole world (laughs) of cancellation going on in this world (laughs) and I'm not a big believer of that because I mean I mean, at the core of it, I am African, right? Mm. So, like, how do you cut off entire people? (laughs) You have to keep living. You can't cut off people. Like, we have to find a way to navigate and live with these people and be triggered by them and everything. Mm. I'm such a believer in that when it comes to this body of work. And I think that's what people that's what gets people interested and excited and wanting to do the work because they realize at the core of it is that it's not just about the money and that's what i always say that's actually one of my slogans it's never about the money it's about almost everything else but the money
0: yeah so what what services do they come for you know what what are the different uh, things that they pay for um, when they come Okay to-
1: so there's one course called the bank account challenge which is to help you change your spending habits when it comes to money mm-hmm. um so people get to look at their bank accounts and really look at where they spend their money so that's one course and then people there's also i also have a Woman money journal which is really really cool it's a year-long uh, journal so It comes in two parts. Part one is six months. Part two is six months, and it's all about teaching women, in particular, how to work with their wombs and their cycles, how to tap into their wombs, listen to the wisdom of their wombs, and then start building businesses and making money in a way that they uh, their wombs um, in a way that is guided by the womb. You know, and also starting to notice your cycle. So teaching them how they don't work on the days of your cycle. Those are the days to go within, to listen to wisdom. How do you look after yourself during ovulation? And what does that mean in terms of your business? Does your womb respond differently? What are some of the guidances that are coming through? And then they get to ask themselves. There's also a bunch of uh, questions, not a bunch, but a new question Mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. day that you get to ponder on when it comes to your business and money and your right letters to money. So that's a powerful uh, tool. The journal, Mm -hmm. and then there's also the Money Magic course. So, this is my signature course that people love, and this is what my podcast, the Money Magic podcast, is based off of. So, uh, in the Money Magic course, we talk, uh, it's all about how do you grow, how do you double your income and grow it, how do you get out of debt and stay out of debt, how do you fall in love with your bank account, increase your savings, but also it then starts moving you into this realm of, as you're increasing your income, what does that mean for your friendships, family dynamics, et cetera? And what are the tools that you can use so that you're not canceling your family members? I'll keep saying this. I'm not a believer in, oh, if my siblings don't get behind my success, I cancel them. Like if so, if my friends are not happy for me, for my progress, I cancel them. I'm like, it is human nature. You're not always happy as well when certain people are progressing, you know, like once in a while you get tripped up. Yes, you'll come to the party eventually, or maybe two or three days later for your friends. But sometimes you're going through your own stuff and you're just like, please don't tell me about how happy and how good your life is you know, Mm -hmm. because like I'm not in a good space. It doesn't mean that that person has to be totally canceled, you know? Mm -hmm. So looking at all those dynamics and then also getting you ready to go into a space of creating passive income and building an investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, those are the main thing. And then there's the mastermind. So the mastermind, the focus of the mastermind is to help women go out women and men i guess but i've only had women in the mastermind oh, okay. as opposed to the money magic course <laughs> so it's how it's how people go to a hundred thousand dollars or more in revenue in their businesses okay. so yeah. uh within the year of being in the mastermind oh, so nice yeah. nice it's a lot of fun
0: yeah Vangila Makwakwa is my guest today on Shades and Layers. Before we wrap things up, we are going to talk about mentors and big dreams in the future. And as usual, our guest will share thoughts on what their memoir would be called and whom they imagine would be the lead actor in the biopic. So let's get into the more candid side of things. Oh yeah, you are one of the pioneers of this work from anywhere trend that we're seeing at the moment. <laughs> you <laughs> name two advantages of being a nomadic entrepreneur and two disadvantages of that setup. Oh yeah.
1: One major advantage is, you know, I think it has helped me stay. So it's this is both an advantage and a disadvantage and I'll explain. Mm -hmm. Being a nomadic entrepreneur means that I get to actually be very consistent with things in my business because it is the one thing that is constant in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Because everything else is changing. I'm not, I think as entrepreneurs, we're always wanting to try new things and change this and change this (laughs) and go here and go there in business, But because I already have something external that is constantly changing, I'm less inclined to constantly change what is happening in my business, if that makes sense. Right. I'm more willing to stay consistent with the strategy and not changes. I'm willing to keep going. Mm -hmm. So when I get Mm -hmm. bored, I don't change the business, I change a country (laughs) or a place. (laughs) And that, believe it or not, Anyone that is, so an, cool. uh, that is an entrepreneur <laughs> may relate to this, right? It's mm. that, like, when we get bored, we want to change the business. We think the problem is the business. But because Meanwhile. I'm constantly <laughs> changing countries, it has meant that, like, I look at countries to change. Mm. This is the mm. business, which has been a saving grace in so many ways, which means that I've actually given a lot of my strategies and systems time to, I've given myself time to implement things. I've given myself time to test things. Whereas in the past, I used to be like, oh, this is not working after a month, change it, (laughs) you know? And so I don't have enough data. I wouldn't have enough data, Mm, right? mm. And then also a disadvantage to constantly moving is the same thing, is that I feel like because I'm moving so often, I could possibly... I don't spend as much time on certain things in the business as I desire because every three months, every six months, I'm trying to navigate a new language. I'm trying to learn a new greeting or in my case, for example, in Mexico, like I'm learning a brand new language. I'm like in class 6 to 8 hours a day for 2 months learning Spanish. You know, that's a bit of time away from the business, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's it's that catch 22. Like I know in my heart of hearts that if I didn't have travel, the business would become the thing that is constantly changing and it would lack that consistency. But at the same time because I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly dealing with new things outside. Mm. I'm not I don't always have enough time to just focus on the business for say like six months on that one thing. So good and bad for me, definitely mainly good. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other advantage I think is your, do you know how your mind changes? The way you see the world is constantly changing as you travel because you have a brand new language. People are doing things differently. constantly changes, your mind cracks open in different ways. So all that innovation and all that newness, you bring it into the business. You know, you start doing things so differently. Like I start questioning things, you know, and I think for my work, most people are always like, wow, your work is constantly growing. Your body of work around trauma is constantly growing and shifting because I'm moving to different countries and I'm talking to different healers and I'm sitting at the feet of different healers and listening to how they look at the body, how they see healing and everything. So as a result, the way that I look at trauma, the way that I see how we can heal different things is constantly being impacted by the conversations I'm having, the healing experiences I'm having in those countries. Mm. And it is completely cracking me open and, changing the direction that my business would go in or the way that I would look at things. Yeah. So that's really powerful. And okay, so another disadvantage, I guess. (laughs) So this, I don't know if this is an advantage or a disadvantage, but definitely, like, honestly, guys, traveling can get to be expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't, (laughs) wow, you know, especially because um, I don't like staying in hostels. I don't like doing the cheapest ah, of whatever. So you're a you know, luxury
0: like, traveler.
1: <laughs> yes, I am. I, I openly admit it. A lot of people so like, it's expensive. There's no point hiding it. <laughs> there's no point hiding it. Like it's very obvious on Instagram and all these things. I and also I find that there's certain things that I just as you run businesses right I wealthy money is one business but I also run the property magicians podcast with my business partner in that business and then we also run the property magician stock file so there's there's a lot of things where like suddenly I can't abide slow wi-fi right Mm -hmm. there's certain things so I need to have certain things to do business you know and I'm working all the time with trauma around people, with people. And so when I have to take down time every day, I need a very relaxed, quiet space. I like things in a certain manner so that I can keep showing up in a certain manner for my clients. Mm-hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so I do sometimes wonder if I would be saving more if I was (laughs) not traveling. But I also realized that I don't think I would have built this business this way and it wouldn't be growing in this manner if I was not traveling. Yeah. Because it's almost like so many things that I've implemented in the business dependent on me having certain experiences and those experiences could only be had in the countries that I had them. They were so unique Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. they shifted me, changed my way of thinking, changed the way that I saw the world and then changed the way that I approached business. Yeah.
0: How did you manage your travel bug during the COVID shutdowns? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay so I did not travel but I was not sheltered in place in South Africa I was okay. in Sri Lanka mm-hmm. and in Sri Lanka they had shut down the airports they'd done all the things so what I was doing for the year the first year was just traveling all over Sri Lanka mm-hmm. I mean like I really right. I used that opportunity to really really Go. I'd lived in Sri Lanka, but like now I decided to use that opportunity to just go traveling all over, Mm. and that helped. And but now, I mean, like since 20, like in 2022, I've already done like five, no, four different countries. (laughs) No, I like five different countries, and it's December. So I'm so I feel like I kind of stopped (laughs) up all that travel bug. And it's like now coming through in 2022. So I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? I can't stop it.
0: So who are some of your mentors or people you look up to in this entrepreneurial um, journey?
1: Oh my gosh. The coaches I've had, I've had incredible coaches. Mm -hmm. So um, one of my favorite coaches that I've had has been Joan Sebeza. She's a coach here in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And she was the first ever coach that I had, yeah. right? And she uh, she really um, helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. When I started with her, I was still doing the panic attacks. I was still struggling mm. with that and struggling a little with depression And she's the first person that helped me really understand what coaching was about. But not more than anything, she also just was like, hey, you're really good at developing all these really cool exercises. Maybe it's a thing that you can do. Like you may want to look into that. I've worked with Lissara from uh, another coach as well, especially during COVID, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow, I've worked with so many different coaches. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank now. (laughs) I'm like I want to mention all of them, but I can't remember all of them. I've also done a lot of work from Byron Katie. I also do a lot of my sister's work. Uh, my sister runs a channel called Sangoma Society. So, oh for my gosh, I was
0: wondering if you're related.
1: Yes, that's my youngest Because sister. I mean,
0: Makwakwa is not exactly the most common name, right? So,
1: so you know her. So
0: yeah, I've seen her on the on Instagram. I think I follow two of her accounts so yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that's my sister so I do a lot of her work as well I've been doing a lot of her work in recent weeks as well so that's been nice like it's just (laughs) it's really really nice to have that in the family (laughs) nice
0: yeah yeah very nice
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so I have been. I feel like I've been inspired by many people but I also want to say like one of the books, like, I guess not, I've never had Byron Katie as a coach, but her books and her work Mm -hmm. changed my life. Mm -hmm. So the work of Byron Katie, for example, it's been, yeah, I've been doing a lot of coaching and with a lot of coaches over the years, done lots of different coaching and the business space. I've been in masterminds. I am off I'm always in a mastermind, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Almost yeah. always in a mastermind. I always have like two, a minimum two coaches that I work with every year. It's just, it's always been a thing for me. And I think it's really, really been important and super, super helpful yeah. to have one on one coaching and to have masterminds and then to be in courses. Yeah. Great.
0: And um, what are your, I mean, what are your big dreams for wealthy money and uh, property magicians um, <sighs> Stockville?
1: Okay. So the easy one is the property magician Stockville because we keep mentioning it <laughs> all the time. We want to have 250 million rands worth in property. So that's about 16 million US dollars mm-hmm. in property by the end of uh 2026 mm-hmm. yes yeah. we started in 2021 so by the end of 2026 and we would love to have at least a thousand members in the stock file. so all those women are having a share in the properties that mm. we are buying as a stock file so that they can not just own the property, but receive passive income right. for their families and future generations to come. Mm-hmm. So that's like a very lofty goal.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um... It seems very solid to me. <laughs> <There's> numbers, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are numbers you're... attached. You know how to measure this one.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it is actually. We already raised 3 million rand in the first year of existence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we already have about 200 members. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you're hoping and for a I ratcheting say, effect, yeah. Yes, so I feel like um, that's definitely going to happen. I I just know in my spirit, despite some hiccups that we've had in the first year, which are growing pains, mm. We understand that Always, yeah. that it's going to happen. And then with wealthy money, what I for what I would love for wealthy money is to get to a point where I have at least um, five thousand students and clients from different parts of the world and not just me, but also what I've started doing now is I'm starting to train other coaches under me. So having other coaches that are working with all these different clients Mm -hmm. from across the globe Mm -hmm. and where it becomes a whole thing where like people start to take what they've learned and start taking it into their families and start having conversations around money Mm -hmm. and openly talking about money and feeling less shame about, oh, I run out of money at month end Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. oh, I've got debt or I don't earn as much as I want but really just having conversations of how do we change this yeah so that is my aim and for me that goal doesn't have a timeline attached to it by the way yeah it's just like that's what I would love to achieve over the course of my life so even if it takes me the next 40 years <laughs> of my sure. life I'm yeah. cool with it yeah. you know and it may not be through online courses it may be through many, many different forms of connecting with people and helping people and training different cultures and all that. Mm.
0: So time for the shades and layers, rapid fire, before we wrap everything up. Um, mm-hmm. So if you had to write a memoir today, what would it be called and why?
1: How? <sighs> What would the memoir be called? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it would be um, gosh. I usually like have such a good title for this, but I don't know why now it's not coming. Again, okay, um, so I think it would be just like uh, travel and live your best life, mm-hmm. honestly.
0: Yeah. Okay. And if you had to turn the same book into a movie, who would you pick to play the lead actress?
1: What? Yeah. This is so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Not very practical, but I would want Viola Davis. Yes. (laughs) Just because I'm obsessed with Viola Davis. Like, I, I just adore her. I love her. I think she's incredible.
0: Yeah. She's lovely. She is. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, how do people get hold of you and become a client, hopefully?
1: Yeah, so you can get hold of me by going to Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter looking for Vangile Makokwa or Facebook looking for Wealthy Money. You can check out the free seven day tapping into ancestral money wisdom training at wealthy money.com forward slash training. Again, wealthy money.com forward slash training. Or just go to wealthy money.com and just look at all the various free resources on the website.
0: And that is all from me this time around. Thanks to Vangila for sharing her story so generously. If you want to learn more about her work or some of the resources and books she mentioned during our conversation, you can find them in the show notes. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I'm Gudwanos Kosano Ritchie, and until next time, please do take good care.